Welcome to the Bible Studies for Life adult podcast. This is hosted each week by Chris Johnson and myself, Lynn Pryor. And Chris, I'm just going to say I am amazed at the things I often find just discarded. It's like someone has thrown something away assuming it can't be repaired. But I like to grab those things, and if I can, I'm going to breathe breathe some new life into it. So you do that with woodworking, right? Yeah, I do. I, I, I like to find old things and just uh, convert them. What's one of the more unusual things you've you've uh, been able to restore? Well, I wouldn't call it restore, but I would call it uh, give it a new life. Of course, you okay. guys on the video, you can see it behind me. It's this piano. Uh, <laughs> I do see it. There was a church, uh, I guess it's been a little over a year ago, uh, a, a church in our area that I got wind of it. They had a grand piano they needed to get rid of. The uh, soundboard area is cracked, and it won't hold a tune. And it was just in their way. So if someone will take it, you can have it. So I took it and gutted it and turned it up on its side and made a bookcase out of it. <laughs> I see it right there. It's yeah, cool. So anyway, I like to do that kind of restoration. But that's not the kind of restoration rate we're talking about here today. Yeah, we're not talking about that kind of restoration. We're talking about a life restored. And uh, so for us in the church, um, we, especially as pastors, we, we love to see these stories of, of people's lives who are radically changed, uh, who, where Jesus just does an amazing work in someone's life. It happened in the Bible, but it happens today too. So that's a, a, so exciting to see. And so we want to look at an example of Jesus restoring a life. Sure. Today. And joining Chris and I for this conversation is Dr. Greg Pouncey. Greg, thank you for taking the time to record this podcast with us. Glad to be here. Uh, excited to be on the podcast with you again. Uh, Greg is one of our veteran commentary writers. Greg writes for the Advanced Bible Study, and he wrote the uh, Advanced Commentary that's a part of this study on uh, my encounter with Jesus. Uh, Greg does serve as the senior pastor at First Baptist Church of Clinton, Mississippi. And Greg, I'm not going to get too, I know we're going to talk about this, but you've had some recent adventures in the Holy Land that I'm actually looking forward to you sharing as a part of this podcast. Greg, um, I was intrigued when I read the uh, advanced uh, commentary that you wrote, uh, because you told a personal story of a time recently when you have just really needed Jesus uh, to to help you through a difficult time. Could, would you mind sharing that with our with our listeners? Sure. Well, this passage is about broken people, and sometimes we think broken people are only the lost, uh, but there are Christians who are broken inside too. And I went through uh, just a terrible year. We were expecting our, it was about 2017, and we were expecting our first grandbaby and had our bags packed. We were ready to go to Arkansas, where my son is a worship pastor, and uh, waiting on the call, uh, just any day now, any moment now that she was 37 weeks along. And my son called and said that the baby had, uh, had stopped having a heartbeat. They did not detect a heartbeat. And so he said, dad, uh, they said the baby has died in the womb. And, uh, so I need you and mom to come and sit with us as we walk through that. And so we did, and it was the saddest thing I think that I've ever been through in my life. Um, I never, it seems like my life to me has been charmed. Uh, I've been through tough times early on, but uh, in ministry, just great, great times. And 
when I hit that wall, it was a tough, tough moment and a tough time to deal with. And then one year later, same son expecting a child. Uh, we go uh, to see the child born. I hold the child in my arms. And first time I'm holding him, I get a call that our uh, former student pastor who had been living with us, going through some difficult issues, uh, had taken his own life. And so uh, I had to put the baby back in my son's arms, and I knew I had a church and a bunch of youth that were hurting, and I had to go back and minister to those families. And so uh, inside, I just felt broken, and uh, it just for the first time felt like things were not for me. They were against me, and I knew they weren't. Uh, my head told me that but my heart told me different. And uh, just coming out of that brokenness, I began to see that what I needed most of all was Jesus to pick me up. You know, I was the man laying there beside. I didn't have energy to go and get in the pool. Uh, I needed somebody to come along and help me. And, and, and really the only person that could do that the way I needed it done was Jesus. Uh, it wasn't friends or they tried. It wasn't church members. They were great helping me through that. But what I needed more than anything in that moment was I needed Jesus and I needed the touch from him. And uh, part of that is me leaving my church in Mobile and coming to Clinton uh, happened out of all of that. And so it's a long story, but it's just to say that there's a lot of broken people in our world and a lot of people that are looking for touches in all different directions, but none can touch us like Jesus can touch us. Greg, I appreciate you sharing uh, your own story. And I want to encourage those of you who are listening to uh, be transparent as, as you're a part of groups and as you're leading groups to be willing to do the same, to share your stories of moments when you have needed Jesus to, to be there, to help you when you've cried out to God, Oh God, I need you help me. Um, you just be aware that people, as you share these kind of stories, uh, and as we go into this Bible study, that it will open doors for others to tell their stories, and and that's exactly what we want to happen uh, in our in our Bible study groups. And that is certainly appropriate for this particular Bible study, since we're talking about Jesus restoring. Uh, Jesus restored what was broken in my life. So for our, for our study, we're going to be in John chapter 5 and look at a man that Jesus restored. Uh, let me begin reading. Uh, this is John 5. Let me begin reading in verse 2. By the sheep gate in Jerusalem, there is a pool called Beth Bethesda in Aramaic, which is has five colonnades. Within these lay a large number of the disabled, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been disabled for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and realized he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the disabled man answered, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, someone goes down ahead of me. So, Lynn, I'm reading, I'm reading along with you, and I notice that after verse 3, it goes to verse 5 in the uh, Christian Standard Bible. Uh, Greg, tell us about that. We are missing a verse. <laughs> the missing verse is there. It's just in your footnotes. Uh, but it is actually a verse that is explaining the tradition that surrounded this pool. Um, and the earliest manuscripts, 400 and before, 
did not contain that verse. And that's why many translations, some uh, according to what their translation principles were, uh, they decided where to place that. Should they place it in the text or should they place it in the footnotes? Because all the oldest manuscripts did not contain it. Uh, Christian Standard decided to put that in the footnotes. Uh, it's not that this is a bad verse or this verse is misleading. No, really, it was probably added. You know, in the 400s, people were farther removed from the Holy Land. They didn't understand the tradition of this pool. And so probably a later editor came along and said, oh, the reason that he was at this pool was because they believed that an angel stirred the waters. And when the waters were stirred, that that brought healing properties to people's lives. And so uh, there was a tradition in the Roman Empire that uh, the, the god Asclepius uh, they had temples, over 200 temples of Asclepius have been recovered. And one of the main ones uh, in Pergamon uh, that I was able to go to, uh, you go into that temple and they would spend the night there in that temple. And then they would go through these ritual baths and it provided healing for them from the god Asclepius, who was Apollos, uh, was Apollo's son. Uh, and he was doing these healing properties because uh, Apollo's wife was murdered. And so he got interested in healing uh, and learned. And so these were like little hospitals that were all over the Roman Empire. Uh, and so I doubt very seriously that this was associated with that. But what was happening was most likely a spring was bringing up water, uh, stirring the waters at different times. And uh, because of these traditions in all these other places, they thought, well, maybe that when the waters are stirred, someone is healed. And so this man was waiting there by chance because uh, he believed that this water, when it was stirred, would heal him. So, Greg, what you're saying is it wasn't that something legitimate actually happened here, but it's because of what happened or what the, the word they heard about these other places, they assumed it would happen here. It was just an assumption. That's correct. And the pool of Bethesda means uh, the pool of mercy. And uh, this is that association with that, that, hey, if we come here, uh, we will get what we don't deserve. We will get this mercy uh, poured out on us. We'll get this healing brought to us. So Lynn mentioned that you've been to the Holy Land recently and uh, uh, been at this at this location. Sure. Uh, I've been there. This be my seventh time. Back in December, I was there, and uh, it, it's amazing because you see the Bible coming to life. Uh, to get there, we went through what used to be the Sheep Gate. Uh, now it's called the Lion Gate, but there's not even a lion there. There's really a panther there, and that comes from the uh, Islamic traditions that was uh, associated with that later. But that's where the Sheep Gate was, and it was called that because the Kidron Valley, it, it opens up into the Kidron Valley, and as they brought the sacrificial animals from Bethlehem, they would take them through the Kidron Valley, and they would go through the Sheep Gate. When they entered the Sheep Gate, it, it's not even, I don't know, maybe 50 yards uh, from that Sheep Gate. Uh, they would bring the sheep in, and they would wash the sheep in this pool to prepare them to go into the temple. The temple is right there beside it. So the temple complex is just, not, it's not more than 50 yards away from that. And so they would wash those uh, sheep and they would take them in and prepare them for sacrifice. And so Jesus enters through the sheep gate and there's more than just washing sheep going on because of this tradition that's taking place. 
uh, this man is laying there hoping that some, the waters will be stirred and hoping somebody will help him to be placed into the water. Lynn, you and I talked before uh, we started this podcast and uh, the the Chosen video uh, series uh, depicts Jesus going and healing this man. And uh, it's just an amazing scene where you see Jesus talking to this this man and you see uh, an, an amazing healing take place. We'll talk about that in just a minute. And Chris, what's amazing to me is here he is. He's He's been in this condition 38 years and he still seems to have this hope that maybe someone can pick him up. Uh, and it's fascinating to me that with that, that Jesus comes and says, Hey, you want to get well? <laughs> seems like an odd question, doesn't it? I mean, that's why he's there, right? Yes. So why do you think he asked the question? Well, you know, average life expectancy was about 40. And so chances are, you know, pretty much this has been an, an entire life for this man. And yet when you look at it, you, you know, you see that this man had put all of his hopes in this tradition uh, that that was where he was looking to for healing. And I think so Jesus's question is multi-layered, not just does he want to be well, which everybody knows the answer to that. But who are you trusting in to bring this healing to your life? And, uh, you know, sometimes we think we need to help God along with our brokenness. And, uh, you know, we, we don't have that power. Uh, Jesus has that power, and he wants us to come before him. And so I think there's, there's layers to that question beyond just do you want to walk again? And what's sad, Greg, is that he was so focused on this pool and somehow to be that one that gets in the water first, that when Jesus asked this question, he doesn't think about, I'm surely he's, I'm, I'm assuming he's heard about this Messiah, this, this itinerant rabbi, but he doesn't look to him for healing. He says, Hey, yeah, Jesus, it'd be great if you could kind of help me get in the water. His focus is on getting help into the water. And Jesus had something completely different in mind, something far better in mind for him. So, uh, Greg, you mentioned 38 years. And one of the questions that we ask in our uh, personal study guide uh, for our, our uh, groups to discuss is, um, when have you prayed for a need for so long that you started to lose heart? And um I think that people, sometimes that's something that's going on in their lives now, uh, but sometimes it's something that's happened in the past. And uh, those those things that, that stretch out over a long period of time, and uh, we, we continue to go to God and say, please help me, God, please, you're my only hope. Um, it, I think it will create conversation where people will either talk about their experience or the experience of someone they know that's, that's had a long-term issue like that. I think there are parallels with that, with the question that Jesus asked, because when we start, when there's something we are wanting to see happen and we're praying and praying and praying for that thing, is our trust in God based upon his answering that prayer or is it upon who he is? Uh, and, you know, for so long, this man had, had hoped for that, that, and that's where his whole hope was in this pool. And, you know, sometimes we have to be willing to say, Lord, if I never walk, you're still God. If I, if I never walk, you know, I'm still faithfully serving you. And, um, so when Jesus comes along and asks that question, I think it's a reality check 
for that man beside the pool. And so here Jesus has this, has this conversation with him and he steps in and meets his need, but he does it in a way far greater than the man uh, expected. Yeah, let's go to verse eight. Get up, Jesus told him, pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, the man got well, picked up his mat and started to walk. Now that day was the Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, this is the Sabbath. The law prohibits you from picking up your mat. He replied, the man who made me well told me, pick up your mat and walk. So I have I have some personal memories tied to that uh, passage. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, my, my cousins from California and from other places would come to our house and we would all sleep on the living room floor. And my mom would get up in the morning and come and wake us up and tell us, get up, take up your <laughs> <laughs> take up your mat and walk. <laughs> so, so uh, we actually had those kind of experiences in a different circumstance, obviously, but uh, uh, just, just a memory that came to my mind as I was looking at this passage. I think about it in terms of my daughter, who's a physical therapist. And uh, so, you know, here, this man hasn't walked for 38 years and Jesus says to him, get up and walk. Can you imagine? I mean, I've seen people in the hospital a week that end up having to have therapy to be able to walk. Uh, Jesus says to a man who hasn't walked in 38 years, roll up your mat, take off. And the man does. And well, what a testament to the complete power of Jesus to heal that, which is broken. So I mentioned a minute ago that the chosen episode uh, that depicts this story and uh, the actor who portrays uh, this man uh, just gets this strange look on his face and he, he, he stretches out his legs and he gets up and he's able able to stand and able to walk and he just kind of dances around but he always has this wonderful smile on his face like it's happened <laughs> it's just too good to be true and every time you see him in that scene and other scenes he has this look and he's kind of dancing around and uh it's just they did a great job of depicting that story i'm reminded of the uh a similar healing that happened in acts chapter four with peter and peter and john where it describes the man he got up he was walking and leaping and praising god and of course, we don't know that with this gentleman here in John 5, but I can just imagine that is everyone's reaction when they have not walked for so long. They're not just going to walk. They're going to run. They're going to leap. They're going to hop, skip, just <laughs> whatever they can do. Uh, and, so, and to me, that's just such a great testimony that God healed them. Old Testament talks about God being the healer, Jehovah Rapha. God is the Lord is my healer. And here we certainly see this as Jesus has healed this man. Of course, the challenge that, that hits him is uh, he's upset the Jewish leaders. I mean, it wasn't the fact that he was walking. It's the fact that he picked up his mat on the Sabbath. <laughs> I, thought, I thought, give the guy some credit. He hasn't done anything on the Sabbath for 38 Sabbath, you know, 38 years. So cut him a little <laughs> slack here. And not to mention that, you know, if this is the place that they're washing the sheep, their sheep are coming in this way. Uh, and if there are lame and blind people at this pool, what does that mean for that place? It's unclean. And there is Jesus coming to an unclean place. Jesus, who is clean, comes to the unclean place and he restores their brokenness. And to me, that speaks volumes of who Jesus is, what he came to do, that he was willing to go among in the places where a typical rabbi, a typical priest would not want to be seen. And that is in a place of uncleanness. There's a, a couple of questions that we ask um, 
at the end of this section. One is when has Jesus uh, met your need in a surprising way? So that runs parallel with this passage. So I think it's a good, interesting conversation will happen there. And uh, another question is, when has he exceeded your expectations? And he does that for us. So uh, as Jesus has healed this man, he's picked up his mat. We've seen the, the Jewish leaders uh, are upset about this. Well, Jesus met the man again, and he, he basically said, you know, don't sin. But, but Jesus also had an encounter with these Jewish leaders, and in his conversation with them, it became clear he's referring to himself with God, or he's making himself equal with God. And uh, it says there in the passage that not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. So they're upset about this. But I want you to hear Jesus' next words as he continues talking to these Jewish leaders. Jesus replied, Truly, I tell you, the son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son likewise does these things. For the father loves the son and shows him everything he is doing, and he will show him greater works than these so that you will be amazed. And just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so the, father, so, so the son also gives life to whom he wants." In the Bible study, Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby, he, he uses this passage at, at verse 17 that says, where Jesus said, my father is still working, I'm working also. And then also verse, verse 20, uh, uh, the father loves the son and shows him everything uh, and greater works than these. Uh, you'll be amazed at what you see uh, him do. So it's, uh, it, 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 it's interesting that when Jesus is accused of claiming to be God, to claiming to be the son of God, uh, he typically just reinforces that by saying, yeah, <laughs> uh, you got it right. Yeah. I mean, who else could have healed the man? It certainly wasn't the water. The water didn't get stirred. He didn't get put in there. Um, so who else do you think did this? And uh, nobody could do that healing, but God. And so, Jesus is not, you know, he, he's, he's saying it's not uh, an accident or, you know, you've got to admit that this was an act of God. And then he aligns himself with God and that's where they get upset. Well, the beauty of this story is as we began this podcast, we see that, that Jesus restored what was broken in this man's life, that Jesus restores what's broken in our lives as well. And certainly the greatest way he has restored any of us is uh, for our need for salvation. Yeah, but even as we talked, Greg, as you shared earlier, there's other areas in our life, even as believers, where we need his continual restoration, his his touch, his, his encouragement, his involvement in our lives. And I love the fact that we are reminded that he does that today as we read this passage. It's a good word. And, and this is a great story. I hope that those of you who are listening, that this will prepare you uh, for this week's session and that, that it will create conversations uh, where people have the chance to talk about their own stories of how God has done things in their lives to restore them. Greg, thanks for sharing your story. Do you have any last words for us as we close out? Well, I think in my own life, uh, you know, people being patient with me helped me through that. Uh, when I came back to church, people didn't just bombard me with questions and things, but they let me know they were there and they cared. And 
um, through through them, I think I did experience the touch of Jesus. Um, and, uh, you know, I think as we think about teaching that in classes, we're going to run across all kinds of brokenness. Uh, we can't be afraid to go and touch that brokenness. Uh, we can't remove ourselves from it. We have to, like Jesus, uh, go and, and, you know, mediate presence of Christ among the people that we serve. That's the beauty of our classes. I mean, it happens in the church, but in those smaller settings, like a Sunday school class, a group Bible study, I think where we can really be there to minister to each other in those occasions like that, Greg. And for our listeners, let me remind you, as, as I introduced Greg, that he does write for Advanced Bible Study. And I would encourage you to pick up a copy of this supplemental commentary uh, that uh, deals with the same passage that we, we, we look at each week in Bible Studies for Life, but he goes into a little more depth with it. And I just think it's always a rich thing to read uh, as I as I prepare to lead a Bible study. So Greg, thank you for being a part of this. Chris, you too. And to all of you out there, we hope you have a great Bible study this week. <music> <music>